As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Miami Hurricanes versus Alabama. September 4th is going down in Atlanta. Last year's national championship team think they got what it takes to beat this orange and green. That crimson and white is going to put up a fight, but I believe we get the dub by the end of the night. And if you don't believe, then I can already see that you and Coach Cooper just never agree. 305 to the 470. Sellout crowd, we're going to put on a show. Saber might be a legendary coach, but I think it's about time for him to finally choke. On this turnover chain and these touchdown breaks, swagged out so much that I can hardly breathe. We scared of you, and you know it's true. Tied fans in denial, they ain't got a clue. They think it's going to be an easy game. <laughs> Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer at The Athletic. And today is Tuesday, August 31st. We are officially in game week. Hurricanes, number one ranked Alabama, Saturday in Atlanta. You just heard that intro song. And uh, by the way, Aaron, we got Aaron Suttles with us. He's our uh, Crimson Tide beat writer. Did you happen to see the uh, the diss track put together by one of these Hurricanes fans? And what were your initial thoughts? I thought it was fun. Uh, you know, a lot of people are going to give that ridicule. I, I view it as sort of fun. It's what makes college football fun. And I, I think he's doing it a little bit. He's self-aware. He's in on the joke, which I like. When it's it's the people that don't that don't uh, that take themselves too seriously when that makes me look at him a little weird. But when you're doing it and you're self-aware and you're sort of poking fun at yourself while at the same time having fun, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Coach Coop, as he's known in uh, Hurricane Circles, he's got his own YouTube show. I got to give him credit. He uh, he wrote a good track. It was kind of catchy. I liked the beat. I mean, I was into it. I was digging it. Um, how did uh, Alabama fans react? Is that spreading like wildfire wildfire yeah. all over the Internet? Well, I caught wind. You know, he said if I get to a certain amount of retweets, I, he was going to release it early. So I, I quote tweeted it to make Alabama fans aware of it. And I, okay. I think they've had fun with it. And actually, a, a University of Alabama professor released his own response diss track, but he didn't rap. It was sort of like spoken words. So they, both sides seem to be having a lot of fun with it. Oh, I got to check out the uh, the Alabama diss track. I haven't seen that one yet. So uh, maybe we'll have that on next week after the game. Uh, Play it for Miami fans at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this game, uh, Alabama, obviously, I mean, it's it's a machine. What Nick Saban has built there is just ridiculous. And uh, 
you know, Bryce Young's taking over at quarterback. I know they've got some new receivers, um, you know, but they, they did lose some talent from last year's squad. I'm curious internally how much sort of doubt is there going into the start of the season? Like, hey, we, we've got a lot of guys to replace, or is it full confidence? We're Alabama, and we're going to beat the, the brakes off Miami. I, I think Nick Saban, when he's your coach, he gives you that 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 confidence, sort of that that sort of swagger. Because mm-hmm. Alabama, and I've learned this covering them, it, it's not really – it's not a traditional team that, that loses all that talent, right? Like, if, if Miami knows this, when Miami – I think Alabama tied the record for most first-rounders with Miami this past draft with six yeah. first-rounders. But I've sort of, like, gotten to the point where Alabama loses talent every year, and I – you know – seven, eight years ago, nine years ago, I would, I would question Alabama. Like how good can they possibly be? I've gotten to the point where I just expect them to replace it just because of how well they recruit, how way, how well they develop the recruits that they get. Certainly they're not going to be the same on offense. Um, they can't be, um, you know, losing your offensive coordinator, uh, losing Mac Jones, who's doing really well with the Patriots right now, losing Najee Harris, losing your left tack- tackle on Alex Leatherwood, losing the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, losing uh, a receiver that went higher than the Heisman Trophy winner on your same team, Jalen Waddle. There's just too much loss off that offense. But I, I do think they've got some players, and there's, they're not, it's not going to fall off a cliff, but they're certainly not going to be the offense they were last year. Well, I mean, that was a record-setting offense. Let's face it. I mean, it was just ridiculous how much success they had throwing the football, and Najee Harris was just a beast out of the backfield. Um I, I sat there and I counted up the starts um, for Miami. In ter- you know, that's their strength, right, is all these six-year seniors and all this experience that they've got. They've got 184 guys or 184 games, not 184 guys, but 184 games in terms of starts back on the offensive line. And I think as a whole, Alabama's offense, I'm going to count the numbers here, but 17 games at wide receiver, five at tight end, and 52 on the offensive line. So Miami's offensive line alone – has more starting experience, but we know the talent is just ridiculous on this offense. I mean, there's the four and the five-star guys. I added this up as well. Uh, In the two deep that was released yesterday, Alabama's got 11 five-star recruits. Miami's got one. So that just tells you right off the bat, you know, from a talent perspective, where this team is. Yeah. And you start talking about the relative inexperience. I counted yesterday on the two deep Alabama's got um, 15, first or second year players in the 2D just on offense. Wow. And all four, they brought in four receivers in the, the recruiting class of 2021. All four of them are in the 2D. So you talk about all that, all that they've lost at receiver and they certainly have, it's, it's going to be a challenge um, because they haven't really been whole this, this fall camp either, especially on the offensive line. They just, they've had guys out, they've held guys out for scrimmages because of injuries or preventative measures. So they haven't had the same five guys they're not going to hit the field with the chemistry that that last year's group had. And I was there was a there was a quote from my, I think it was the Miami defensive line coach, yeah, who basically called last year's Alabama offensive line one of the best in history. I mean, they were really, yeah. really good. So I mean, it's not just the receivers and the skill position talent they lost. They lost really what the nucleus of what that offense was on its offensive line. Now they still got a lot of talent, as you mentioned, you know. But Evan Neal's moving from right tackle to left tackle. He's projected probably to be the best tackle in this upcoming draft draft eligible so i mean they've got the talent it's just that it hasn't worked together as a unit yet yeah what, what are your biggest questions when you look at the offense i mean I, we just covered receiver the inexperience but where do you feel good where 
maybe there's some guys that haven't played a lot and you say, okay, this guy's going to be a beast. He's going to take over. I fully expect him to be one of the best players in the country. I think a freshman to watch who's been named, he was named, you know, Alabama does that sort of or slash. So there's a guy at the slot right now. Slade Bolden's the guy that's got the most experience. Um, But he, he only has one career touchdown catch and it was in the national championship game against Ohio state, but there's a freshman who's earned the or starting job with him in the slot by the name of Jojo Earl mm-hmm. and Jojo Earl's going to, I think going to get some opportunities in the slot in this game. And he's going to be on punt return and kick return. He's a guy that can make an instant impact. So I would be watching out for him where I would be concerned for Alabama is you got a first year starter at quarterback in Bryce Young, who hasn't been through the slings and arrows and, the, and, and been through the wars yet. And in front of him, he's going to have a group while wow, there's a lot of talent on that offensive line. It hasn't worked together. So are, are they going to hang him out to dry a couple of times? They're going to be missed assignments. Is Miami going to get a free shot on him? Because, you know, Bryce is a great player, but he's not the biggest guy. So his durability, if he takes a really big shot, how does he handle that? You know, are they going to handle, be able to protect him? Because I do think if, if, if they have any success running the football, it's going to be a long day because then then you allow a quarterback like Bryce to get in the play action. It makes a, a, a relatively new quarterback a lot more comfortable in the pocket when they can lean on the play action. So I think the offensive line is, is what I would be watching most to see sort of as a barometer of how much success Alabama's going to have. Yeah, and I think, you know, to sort of counter that from a Miami perspective, it's, you know, they got to replace two guys that just left to the NFL, including Jalen Phillips, who's a first round pick at that defensive end spot. And that's kind of a big question for Miami. It's where do they bring the pressure this year? Because between Phillips and Quincy Roche, those guys played a heavy workload last year. And now you got to replace two guys that are in the NFL and you got questions. Uh, Miami went out and they brought in uh, a kid, DeAndre Johnson from Tennessee, who had, I think, four and a half sacks last year to help add some depth. They moved Zach McLeod, one of their linebackers to defensive end. Um, you know, that has, has a whole bunch of starts under his belt, but he's never started a defensive end. Uh, and then you got a, a talent like Jafari Harvey, who's one of their highly recruited guys. But again, he started the bowl game, had one um, sack, you know, uh, fumble that he created in the bowl game against Oklahoma state, but it's, it's going to be a second start, you know, and he's going to be going up against Evan Neal. And so I I don't know, man, like uh, for Miami's sake, they do have four veteran defensive tackles. They've got four guys who have played a lot in college. Jade Silvera, Nessa Silvera is their best uh, defensive tackle, in my opinion, a guy who can get in the backfield and create problems. But I think, you know, that's where this game is going to all come down is can Miami stop the run? And, you know, you, you put on that North Carolina tape last year and you're like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Alabama could have a field day. The one thing I'll say, though, is, you know, the running back position for Alabama, you know, Manny Diaz talked about this. He said he watched in the spring game. He said even their guys had a problem bringing down some of their bigger backs. Uh, is this a power running game or is there a lot of speed? Yeah. And how, how would you describe what Alabama does in the running game? Well, Brian Robinson's a guy that's back for his fifth year. He took advantage of the NCAA rule, allowing him to come back. And he's a very – He's a great running back to play, could play in, in any number of programs, but he's very much kind of a north-south guy. Mm-hmm. He's going to run you over, very tough, very physical. But there's a guy that, that really has had a great fall camp to watch out for named Jace McClellan, and he's sort of got that extra gear. And he's the guy that, that um, might get a lot of carries in this game, and, and whereas Brian Robinson may not be able to get the corner, Jace is going to be able to get the corner. And then – I'm still – we don't know what Trey Sanders is going to be. The former five-star IMG running back was involved in a car accident last year. Very, very lucky to even be 
playing football again. And he's sort of the, the in that second uh, second on the depth chart with Jace McClellan. So they, they've got running back. They got depth and they, they're, they're good. I don't, they don't have a Najee Harris, of course, because Najee, what made him so good is he set his blocks up. His jump cut was outstanding, but he, he could really hurt you in the passing game. Um, I don't know yet what Alabama has in terms of that, but um, they're expected to be more of a power running team this year. Now, tight end was a position I looked at in the spring, and I said, well, with Jaleel Billingsley, this could be a problem for Miami. And yet now we have all this drama with Jaleel Billingsley that we're all like, okay, what's going to happen here? Is he the starter? Is he the guy? Is Nick Saban just screwing with all of us? Is he trying to trick Manny Diaz and say, uh, you know, this Jaleel kid is not going to play or, you know, putting him third on the depth chart where he had him? Now, the thing with Jaleel right now is he's sending Jaleel a message. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jaleel, it's not that he's he got into a bunch of trouble. He just wasn't doing things the way his teammates were doing. Let's take, mm-hmm. for instance, if there was a curfew or not even a curfew, if they ask you not to go out to expose yourself to COVID and 84 players were in line with that and you had one guy that wasn't, well, that's problematic. And then they start mm-hmm. looking to you and you're not sacrificing like the rest of us. I think he's it's not really a big discipline issue with Jaleel, but he's sending him a message. And that's why he's third on the depth chart last night. But I think the key to that is how Jaleel responds. And right now, because Nick Saban called him out twice during the month of August, letting him know the issues. I mean, he called him out in the media mm-hmm. or, as, or as much as Nick Saban calls anybody out saying, listen, we, he's not doing things the way we need him to do it. You would have thought by now Jaleel would have gotten that message that, hey, let me just take care of my business and then, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll play football. Well, he goes on Twitter last night and in a sense deleted tweet is, is questioning. He thinks it's laughable that he's on third string. So, I don't know that the message has gotten through to Jaleel. Wow. It looks like it's a maturity issue. I, it's definitely not – I can tell you one thing. It's definitely not Nick Saban playing mind games with Miami. I, hey, he was trying to send a message to Jaleel. Now, that doesn't mean Jaleel's not going to play. Uh, it could mean he's not going to play. But I would have thought the message would have been received. But based on that tweet last night, I don't know that Jaleel's going to play Saturday. I don't know. It's. I, I think we'll all be uh, all looking to see if he plays or not because – I. He was a little immature in the way he's handled it so far. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, how much does that change what Alabama does in this game? Because I looked at it as a huge advantage for them. Um, you know, Jaleel's a good player. Uh, if he's got to learn a lesson and sit this one out because of what he's been tweeting and what he's been doing, how much does this change uh, Alabama's attack in your mind? Well, it's you take one of the most veteran receivers off the field. And mm-hmm. he's, a, he's really a mismatch player. You, you know, when you've got a tight end like that, I mean – He's not he's not Kyle Pitts at what Florida had last year. I mean, no, very few, very few guys are, but he is a he's more of a wide receiving tight end than a traditional inline blocking tight end. And he's a guy that you can split out. He's a guy that you can get mismatched. And if he's not available, it's a huge loss. Um, now Cameron Latou, who's now listed as the starter, he's he's a very talented receiver in his own right. Started off on the sense side of the ball, very highly recruited, and and now they moved him to tight end and he's having a lot of success. So I I think they feel okay, like they'll they're not sacrificing anything that's going to get them beat, but it's certainly a weapon off that offense that um, that Bill O'Brien's not going to have an advantage in calling plays. Well, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball, uh, where I think Alabama is probably the, the best defense in the country, if not top three for sure. Um, let's talk about the defensive line and what they've got coming back, because there's a lot of experience there. Uh, DJ Dale's played a whole bunch of games, 21 starts. You got Justin, the big B at defensive end, 11 starts. Uh, Fedarian Mathis, eight. Um, how do you view just at the front, the front that 
these guys have coming back. Yeah, Nick Saban, it's as deep as they've been in the front in a long time. Probably since 2016 is the last time they were this deep. And this is an Alabama defense that for the longest time, you just kind of penciled Alabama in. They're going to be a top 10 defense automatic. Last three years, they just haven't been. Now, they haven't been garbage, but they have fallen down every year. And, you know, just each year that goes down, they're getting worse and worse. I think they finished 32nd in total defense last year. So it's relatively not bad. But for Alabama, it's not near as good as it used to be. So they're expecting a bounce back. And Nick Saban said they can go seven, eight, maybe even nine deep on the defensive line, run, run guys in and out of there. You mentioned DJ Dale. He just wasn't the player he was his freshman year. Last year, he had a, a knee injury that really held him back last year. Uh, he sort of is intimated that he feels as good as he has since his freshman year. And then the guy behind him, Tim Smith, is a disruptor. Um, Federian Mathis is the guy to watch. He's sort of been like a journeyman platoon guy. You mentioned he had eight starts. Um, he was he was a guy you didn't never really wrote about, talked about all that much. He was just a guy. Well, he he's had an offseason where he's they're really expecting a breakout year from, from Federian Mathis. So he's one to watch. But if you talk about the guys up front, the outside linebackers are yeah. going to pressure Derek King and they're going to test his lower body. I know he's coming back from a serious injury. Yeah. Will Anderson is my is my prediction, uh, my predi- uh, my guy to be the SEC Defensive Player of the Year. I think he's going to be outstanding. And Christopher Allen on the other side yeah. is is just as good um, in terms of at least setting the edge. So up front, they're really, really solid. I'm curious. You, I mean, you watch these guys all the time. Is Nick Saban a bring five, six guy, or is he okay going with four? You know, what does he usually do in terms of, you know, pressure and, and depending yeah. on quarterbacks like De'Ara King, who's really mobile? Well, quarterbacks in the past like De'Ara King, they're very hesitant to bring pressure because if all it takes is one exposed lane and you're vulnerable. So they do a lot of what they call must rush. And basically it's just to envelop the quarterback, keep him in the pocket. Don't let him miss the pocket. So you're rushing, your rush lanes have to have integrity. You can't overextend trying to get a sack. Because if you overextend, it opens up a big lane. And a playmaker like Derek King can have a field day doing that. So they don't – with quarterbacks like him, they don't tend to bring a lot of extra pressure. They just sort of try to keep him in the pocket and, and, and play coverage. Um, I, I am curious to see if they're going to test his mobility given the given his injury. Um, I don't know that they'll do that right away. But I, I, I would sense to any, any sort of gamesmanship, they would, they would at least want to find out how, how healthy he is. Yeah, uh, and I think we all want to know, too. I mean, eight months removed from uh, torn ACL and meniscus, it's, it's a fair question. Now, I will tell you, in practice, uh, you know, he's, he's done some cuts. Uh, he, he's been out there running, and he looks just as good, you know, as he did last year. I don't, I don't think there's any hesitancy on his part, but I do wonder, with a better offensive line, they have improved that offensive line uh, from what it was two years ago when Florida absolutely destroyed them in that, in that opener week zero um, they've got a really good offensive line now, in my opinion. Maybe not, you know, top five, top ten in the country, but uh, especially the guard spot. They upgraded there. They got Navon Donaldson back, who's healthy at right guard. This Jalen Rivers kid is one of the top recruits in the country, one of the best offensive linemen they've signed. They got him at left guard. This is going to be his first start, but he's a really good player. So I think from a protection uh, perspective, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this Alabama front and those linebackers because those are the best in the country in my mind. I mean, that's got to be the best uh, group collectively in the country at linebacker. Um, How has uh, Henry uh, Toa Toa sort of changed things for them? I mean, how much does he feel a need for him? 
I think it's good. I think he's going to be a difference maker. I think he's a game changer there. Dylan Moses just wasn't, he just never returned to form after that knee injury. And you f- sort of feel bad for him because he, he was a guy that had first round talent, but you know, he, he, he tore his knee up and just never last year returned to the guy. He sort of felt like he had to use sort of a metaphor. He had his finger on the trigger, but he never pulled it. Like he was always a step late or just, he just wouldn't let himself go and, and trust that he was healthy and he was hesitant and it just wasn't the same guy. So I think what, what, what you gain when you bring in Henry Toto is he's going to call the defense, which Christian Harris, Alabama's other inside linebacker, could call the defense, but I don't think he's as comfortable doing it because Henry's just got so much more experience in doing it. So I think what it's going to allow is you get a guy that's going to communicate well, which Alabama did not do last year for the last couple of years, really, uh, at that spot. And they've, they've allowed a lot of busted plays. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think bringing him in is going to do two things. I think it's going to cut down on the number of explosives you give up just from just communication, and I think it's going to allow Christian Harris to just be an athlete and go play. And I think when that happens, I mean, you're talking about potentially an, sort of an all-American type player in Christian House Harris and his athletic ability. So, just bringing Henry in, I think, twofold is going to make Alabama's defense better. Yeah. Great defensive front, man. I mean, this is going to be one hell of a challenge for Miami. And I'll, and I'll tell you, um, you know, for all the experience Miami brings back, I, I think this game comes down to one thing for them offensively. Uh, it's it's can the receivers hold on to the football? And that was a problem for them last year because De'Ara King's going to make plays. He's going to escape the pocket. He's going to put the ball where it needs to be. But, uh, you know, Miami went out and got Charleston Rambo from Oklahoma to upgrade the, the receiver position. They've got this second-year freshman and Keyshawn Smith that the coaches are really excited about. And they've got, you know, sort of a second unit now uh, that they can rotate rotate in. Uh, guys like Xavier Restrepo, uh, Michael Redding. Um, there's some good good guys coming off the bench. They didn't have that depth last year with this uh, receiver group. And then Will Mallory, a tight end, you know, I think he's going to be one of the best in the country as well. Uh, and they got a freshman, a true freshman just came in, Elijah Royo out of Texas. I think he was one of the top 10 uh, tight ends in the country coming out of high school and, Coach has got a ton of confidence. So I bring that to the secondary, right, with Alabama, where, where there is some starting experience. You got obviously got Jordan Battle, Malachi Moore, um, DeMarco Hellams, um, and Josh Job, all guys that, that have some starting experience. Um, but I'm curious, what's your take on the cornerback position? Because it's not easy to just go out and get the same kind of play that you got out of Patrick Sertan last year. Yeah. And yeah, Miami fans certainly know about Patrick Sertan, yeah. sort of the, the pedigree of program he came from, what his dad did. Uh, and he was the SEC, defense, SEC Defensive Player of the Year last year. I mean, you don't see that at cornerback a lot. Um, so he's a huge loss, obviously. Josh Job is the guy, and he's your top corner. And then Jalen Armour Davis is your second corner now. He'll be a first-time starter. Um, you know, Jordan Battle, another guy from South Florida, Um He's sort of the leader on the back end of that defense and sort of um, expected a big season from him. DeMarco Hellams, he's one to watch because I'm not sure he's going to play. Okay. He just got out of a, he just got out of a boot yesterday, and it depends on how he feels, really, if he's going to be able to play. If, if he doesn't go, it's probably Brian Branch, who was Alabama's money. He was the, the, the dime defensive back they brought in and dime last year. He could also play star, the nickel position. Um, but – He's the guy they want to get on the field some capacity, and if, if DeMarco can't go, it's going to be Brian there at safety. Um, and then Malachi Moore just had a great season as a freshman as a star defensive back. So they got a lot of talent, and they seem to be okay. I, I think what, what will tell me how good they will be is as good how, 
is how good that Alabama's pass rush is going to be because that will make them better because they don't have to, to cover as much. Because it was a unit last year, even with Patrick Sertan. I mean, go look, go look, go watch the game film. What Ole Miss did to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, go go watch the game film on what Florida did to Alabama. Um, and that's why so many people. I mean, we we sort of think Alabama has the ingredients to be really good on def- defense, but form and be a, a team that can win on defense, not in spite of its defense. So. Um, they have great athletes in the secondary, but they were they were tested last year and burned in a couple games. Yeah, and Brett Lashley brought brought that up. Uh, he brought up you know one on one battles that really there were some instances where you could see uh, some big athletic guys beating uh, Alabama down the field for big plays, and and that's kind of what Miami I think is hoping for. This uh, Keyshawn Smith kid, he's got a forty two inch vertical, super fast. Uh, you know he's added he's an added weapon. Obviously they've got Mike Harley in the slot who's a veteran guy, had a great second half last year. And then Rambo, uh, those are their three starters. So I, I think Miami's got some guys that can make plays down the field. It's just a matter of, you know, what kind of protection does does De'Eric King get and how often does Alabama bring the heat? And so we've kind of covered those topics, man. Like if Alabama sits back in coverage, I think they might be surprised at how good um, De'Eric King is throwing the football. But if they're able to get pressure on him with their – with the, the first three or four guys up front and, 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 you know, still have guys in coverage, then I think it could be a long day for Miami. So uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I know Vegas has uh, the spread at 18 and a half. How do you, or 19 now, I think it's, it's what it's up to. How do you view this man? Like uh, from, from your view of Miami, what do you think uh, of this game? I, I think it all is in my mind is what you just laid out. I think it's mm-hmm. all dear King to me. If he extends plays, if he's able to be comfortable then I see this is this is a defense that is is going to get challenged and probably going to give up some plays. If if Will Anderson gets home, it's going to be a long night for Miami um, mm-hmm. because this is a guy last year. He was a guy last year. He he led the nation as a freshman in quarterback rushers. Now uh, he he his first seven games, man, he didn't record a sack. He finished ended the season second in sacks in the SEC. So first so seventy percent of the regular season didn't have a sack and then turned it on. Right. In a four-game stretch and finished second. So he's a guy that that's hit his confidence levels next level. Um, he if he gets to if he gets to Derek King, I, it could be could lead to a lot of turnovers, could lead to a lot of incompletions and maybe some three and outs. But if 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 Derek King has time, then I, this could be a shootout. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it's a good game uh, for Miami's sake because I think from a recruiting perspective, win or lose, if they show up and hang with Alabama for three or four quarters and don't get embarrassed, then I think Manny Diaz's plan sort of continues. He's done a really good job keeping some guys home here in the last year. Um, he's done a good job filling needs through the transfer portal. And there, and the feeling around here is, hey, maybe a year or two from now, this is a team that could be in the playoff. Um, if you know, winning the ACC, competing with Clemson. So um, we'll see. But this is a big benchmark game for Miami for sure. How's the excitement level over there now? Any, anybody talking about like? Oh, this is Miami, or they're they, they know the Miami that they've watched the last twenty years isn't very good. I, I, I had a sort of get a feeling it's the latter on that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just uh, just the struggles Miami's been through. I think they're it, it, it's tough to explain. I was even trying to tell someone this that it was what was it two thousand seventeen maybe maybe yeah. it was six I can't remember when when Alabama played Florida State in the in the season opener and they were labeling it the greatest opener of all time. Alabama fans have gotten so spoiled to the point of they just expect to win that it really wants outside of the playoffs, they don't really get moved that much by individual matchups. They just, Nick Saban has spoiled them to the point where 
they don't really worry about other teams. They're just they know they got a great team, and so they worry about themselves and they expect to win. Um, so I think that's sort of where it's at. Yeah. Well, listen, Aaron, I, I appreciate all the time you gave me. Uh, I've got one of the Alabama legends uh, on the show next. I did an interview with him. I recorded it uh, at the end of last week. But George Teague, obviously, his connection <laughs> to Miami, you know that well. Uh, yeah. Probably one of the great. Let me ask you, where does that play rank, the uh, the strip uh, of Lamar Thomas in that uh, Sugar Bowl? The the image of it is one of the all-timers. What's funny about it, and people forget this, is the play didn't actually count. Right. Because Alabama was all sides on the mm-hmm. play. I mean, all, all George mm-hmm. did was prevent the touchdown. But sort of, at that time, Alabama was scared to death of teams like Miami. Because back then, when Miami was scoring 40 a game, I mean, in today's world, that doesn't seem like a lot because of the offensive explosion. But back then, Miami just blowing teams out and putting 40, 50, 60 on the board. It was a team you didn't want to play. It intimidated you. Now, Alabama didn't have that. I mean, go back and look at that national championship game. I think the quarterback threw for less than 50 yards. For Alabama's quarterback, Jay Barkley. Yeah. So they couldn't hang if Miami got explosive plays. And it just so happened that the one explosive play Miami hit, George Teague ran him down and, and stripped him. So it's yeah. a, it's an all-timer in terms of the program. Well, George was great. I really enjoyed the interview with him. Uh, such a great, colorful personality. Uh, you know, him and Lamar were teammates with the Dolphins in 1996 under Jimmy Johnson. And, uh, you know, t- <laughs> I'll let George share the story, but even his teammates in Miami uh, never let them, you know, forget that play. They, they constantly brought it up in the locker room. So uh, it was just just funny. Um, man, I hope this is a good game on Saturday. I really do. And I hope I'm able to get out there. My uh, my wife, unfortunately, tested positive for COVID this week. I went and got tested again. I'm hoping everything's fine. Thankfully, everybody's healthy in my house. But uh, that COVID thing is real, man. And, you know, people got to be really careful. I hope people stay home. If you're sick or you got somebody in your family sick, don't go to the stadium. Don't put yeah. other people in danger. Uh, yeah. how, how have people been handling it over there in Alabama? I think they understand. I mean, there's a um... – it's so political here, like a mm-hmm. lot, like it is in a lot of places. But I think the people who are listening to the doctors and trying to keep their family safe are, are, are doing what they're supposed to do. And um, I get the sense that, um, you know, I think I think the people at uh, the, the Peach Bowl that run this game have done a good job of setting the expectations of, of what you need to do when you come over there. So I get the sense of um, that the people going to the game are, are taking it very seriously. Well, hopefully everybody's healthy. Hopefully we have a good game. Aaron, thank you, man. I really appreciate our time. Uh, Make sure you stick uh, listening to our show here. We're going to have an interview with George T. coming up right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Money, Raúl from Hialeah, baby. Football season is back, baby. That means the Kansas on the loose. The Kansas on the loose. We're coming back, Money. We're playing Alabama in about a week. Y estoy... I cannot, cannot tell you how I am, Money. Estoy tan duro. I run through a wall right now, Money. I run through a wall right now. So we're ready for the game, Money. I can't wait for Manny Diaz to beat the Alabama Crimson Tights in this game so he can now be called the Prince of Tights, Manny. That's correct. Raul just made a reference to uh, a classic romantic movies, The Prince of Tights. I happen to like romantic movies. Uh, Shakespeare in Love, The Notebook, uh, Love the Lion Kings. Not because of the, little, the two leoncitos that uh, got together and fell in love. So, you know, my favorite love story is Timon and Pumba. Love it. Anyway, Manny, I have been suffering for years, Manny. Years. Almost 30 years now, Manny. Because of Georgia Teague and the Alabama Crimson Tide. In that play, I had nightmares of Georgia Teague stealing the ball from Lamar Thomas like it was the last pancito caliente de Vicky Beckery. And Lamar Thomas was una viejita trying to get to her bingo club. So lo hizo así, mira, chacata. Took it away from him, and he was over, Manny. I can't take it anymore. I need revenge for that play, Manny. We need to get back on him, Manny. That day, my heart was a chatter. My soul was a crushed. The only two times aside from that, that game against Alabama, money that I felt that way in my life, in my life, money, was when they sent a lay back and when they canceled Que Paso USA. Those only two times, money. Only two times. Okay? But, money, let me tell you something. If we beat Alabama, I'm going to be flying higher than Willie Fancon and Sam Magluda's Speedboat team, if you know what I'm saying. I'm going to be flying high as a kite, money. Because you know why? We got the Eric the King back, money. The Eric the King is back. Uh, they healed his knee. He's good to go. La arreglaron todo. And it was my, uh, my good friend, the doctor Alonso Alonso, that gave him the sana, sana, culito, rana, three times a week to get him back on the field. That's right. Sana, sana, culito, rana from a Cuban doctor. Derek King right back on the field, my friend. Okay? Uh, also, let me speak to you about Derek King's uh, NIL, Nil, Nilo, Niloki, whatever that thing is where those guys get paid. Uh, his deal, he so far has gotten a couple good deals. Okay, that's fine. But where's the race pizza? Where's El Rey de la Frita? Somebody is sleeping here, money. Somebody is sleeping. Dear, give me a call. I'll be your agent, papi. Okay? I'll be your agent, papi. You and me. I, I'm going to have to make you an ordinary cupid. There's going to be a ceremony at Domino Park. I have to knight you with a cigar. And then we have to drink coladas. But don't worry about it. Your, your name would then be, your baptized Cuban name would be Dierek Martinez Taquin. Okay? But you'll be Cuban in my book. Uh, also, I cannot wait to be Nick Saban, money. Ese tipo me cae como una patada en el hígado, money. I cannot stand that he sold out the Dolphins money to go win championships in Alabama. And who would he leave us with? El cam camarón, el camarón, el tipo ese con los pejuelos, drafted Terry Ginks and his families, and, and almost lost every game. Thank God que Dios lo tenga en la gloria de todos los días. Greg Camarillo saved the Dolphins money because if not, 0-16 and had to live with that too? No, 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 no. That would have been number three on the list behind Elian, que pasa USA, and the Alabama thing. Okay? Bueno, money, I look forward to the game. Uh, I know also one thing, Manny. Do you know why Nick Saban really left Miami? 
He couldn't handle the weather and he couldn't handle the coffee. That was the situation. Y por eso se fue. He used to suffer from eh, empapadera en cagalera, which means he used to be sweating all the time from the heat and on the toilet all the time from the coladas. Well, anyway, hopefully the Kings on September the 4th, they flush Alabama down the toilets like a Nick Saban cagalera. Go Kings. Today, I'm joined by a Alabama legend and a great villain in Miami Hurricanes football history. That would be one George Teague. George, I got to ask you, Miami, Alabama playing again for the first time since you victimized Miami uh, with a great performance. I'm curious, which part are you enjoying more, the Alabama hero part or the Miami villain part this week? <laughs> uh, you know, they, I think they both give me kind of pleasure. Uh, and I'll say that because I ended up playing with a lot of those guys or against the guys even when I got to the National Football League. But, you know, that was a back long time ago, 1993, when we actually played. Um, being being able to play in a game of that magnitude and have some iconic plays, I guess some people will call it, is, is very touching that people are still talking about it 30 years, you know, later, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, knowing Lamar Thomas, which I know you'll get into a little bit uh, as well, knowing him now uh, makes the villain part probably more special because I get to keep jabbing at him <laughs> uh, <laughs> even today. Well, we'll get to Lamar in a second. I want people to kind of know what you're up to these days. I see the beautiful setup behind you, the helmets, your coaching. I know you've been doing that in Texas now for almost a decade, right? Tell us what you're up to now. Yeah. So after I retired from the Dallas Cowboys, I became a high school coach uh, and athletic director. So I've been an athletic director and a football coach for almost 20 years. Wow. Uh, and so uh, I am at John Paul II High School in Plano, Texas. Uh, been here just going into my fifth year. I actually just stepped down as the head coach. I hired, okay. well, they might not like to hear this name either, but I hired Mario Edwards, who was a player <laughs> at Florida State. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> as my head coach. Uh, but that's what I do now. I'm still an athletic director at John Paul II High School. I'm curious, the kids that you've coached in the past um, and even the ones nowadays around you, how often do they see the clip of the strip uh, of, the, of the infamous play that uh, everybody still talks about to this day? How much do they come up to you and say, Coach, that was you? You did that? <laughs> yeah, but pretty much they have no choice because their their dad or someone in their family has probably showed it to them before they even actually got to the team. So they kind of got these expectations set of who I am and what I can be about. Um, and when they if they haven't seen it, so I'm fortunate enough to have uh, four or five guys on my football staff that are pros: Seneca wow. Wallace, Chris Givens, uh, Jonathan Scott. Mario, I mean, there's there's been a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And so we actually did something fun for the kids typically every year and show our highlights to them okay. in our old school pads. They get to see it. And it, it always gets a pretty big roar out of the, the room when they see, you know, their coaches making good plays in the league as well. That's a hell of a staff, man. How'd you put that together? Uh, you know, I think – most people don't realize how many of us are in coaches or in high school coaching, particularly in Texas, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and it just so happened that a lot of them were not at a rivalry school, but a, a school down the street for me. When I became the head coach here, as I was trying to assemble my staff, I just start calling the guys like, hey, can I get you to move? Can we make it happen? And once they saw the vision of what we we're trying to do here, um, we loaded up and 
that's how it ended up with that uh state runner up championship uh trophy back there behind me so well, yeah that's that's got to be fulfilling you know you're an athlete your whole career and now you're able to sort of share your knowledge and help other kids get to where you got uh, in your career um what advice do you give them uh what's what's maybe some of the, the key points when they say hey you want to be like me and, and and some of these other coaches on the staff and be a professional. Um, what do you tell them? Well, I can I actually talk about the play um, for the Miami um, game, essentially. And that's no matter how bad it looks, you should never, ever quit because you don't know what the results are going to be. And you might be right at the point of your breakthrough, right when you think it's the worst time of your life or career or whatever. And if you run a few more steps or if you work a little bit harder, that want, it takes a moment, just a moment to be successful or more than you ever dreamed of. Cause you know, when we talk about that game, man, I was supposed to be drafted in like the, I started out as a six rounder. Then I was going to go be a third or fourth rounder maybe. And then after that game, you know, I become a first round pick and Say what you want. I know what it is. I don't feel bad about it. It was one or two plays in that game that changed the dynamic of my family and in my career. One or two plays, 10, 20 seconds, man. <laughs> Wasn't long at all. So, you know, we think we can't go anymore, man. 10 more seconds. We're running these sprints and coaches calling out. So that might be the difference, man. And you starting playing, being a successful business owner or going to National Football League, uh, in my opinion. Wow. Well, well said, uh, George. Curious, did you get recruited by Miami? Did they ever uh, call you or, or show any interest in high school? Hell no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they were sort of the kings of college football back then, right? In the late '80s, early '90s, and and you were a pretty good player yourself, right? Coming out of high school, I'm curious how well you were recruited. Who else besides Alabama had offered you, and, and what was your recruitment like back then? Well, I'll tell you why, and what I think is why and it's okay. not one way or the other but I, I don't think I was recruiting by some schools because I didn't fit the mold of what the Miami Hurricanes were at that time you know Luke Skywalker fast pace uh you know you can say whatever you want to say that's why they called us the convicts versus the you know whatever you know they had this image that they're holding I didn't really fit that that image I was highly recruited all over the country Mm -hmm. mainly in the SEC um, or I don't know where Clemson was at that time, but that division um, mm -hmm. around there. Um, but up the East Coast, not stuff, not really out West very much, but South and up the coast. So I had a lot of choices. My, my choices came down to Auburn, Alabama, Georgia Tech, Clemson, uh, Vanderbilt is where I basically narrowed it down to. Then I narrowed it down to Georgia Tech and Alabama at the end. Um, but, um, you know, uh, hindsight, I think I made a pretty good choice of, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who I need to be at. Yeah. I was curious. I, I never knew if you'd been asked that. I read a lot of stories and interviews and I said, man, I wonder if Miami would have had a chance at, at getting George, if he would have even considered them. And turns out they were, weren't even in the picture really. Right. Did you ever see any of their coaches coming out of high school? No, no. And that is a great question. I've never been asked that. Uh, it's a damn good question. Um, but no, I, that wasn't even a, not even close. wasn't even a consideration. I don't know. I, I don't know how much they actually recruited in Alabama at that time. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. I had to right. do that. They were taking most of their guys out of Florida or maybe Georgia, but not really in Alabama that much. Um, so that could have been it too. You know, yeah. they probably think I'd get out of Alabama to come down there. Now I know you ran track. Um, I don't know. Were you timed in the 40 back then? Did they do that frequently? I know everybody cares about those numbers now, but I'm, you know, your senior year of, at, at Alabama, do you remember what you ran in the 40? Did they test you guys that year? Uh, yes, sir. Um, so the, the fastest time I've been clocked at was 436 at Alabama mm-hmm. on, on pro day. Um, I ran a 441 at uh, pro day when they came to Bama. Uh, and that would range, you know, because split second of a deal. Some of those were four mm-hmm. threes. I just tend to say tell everybody I ran a four three six because that was about the best that I um, achieved. You know, I, I'll give you something interesting about it, though, and I, I say this because technology is so crazy nowadays, right? But, um, you know, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back a little bit here. It's not of arrogance, but it's just the way technology is. The Because of the length of distance that I had to chase Lamar, mm-hmm. you know, you can – you can time those frames and over the 40 yard distance, I actually ran a four, four in the game with those pads on. Wow. Uh, that makes a difference. Yes. That now that's fear. That's not just a uh, speed. That's, that's what I was talking about before. Not quitting. And, and, you know, but that's anybody that's listening. If, if no one believes that when you're scared that you can pick up a car or move a mountain or whatever it is, yes, you can. Because I'm living proof that when you're scared about getting yelled at or letting your teammates down, you can start moving pretty fast if you need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was reading a couple of articles, and I guess you were taking the playoff, right? You were you were kind of uh, tired from having run, you know, returned the interception a few plays earlier for a touchdown. And tell me about that, uh, just kind of what was going through your mind. Take us through the strip. Yes, sir. So, yeah. Well, first of all, in the game, when you're in a game that big, your adrenaline is just going crazy, right? It don't matter. You're out there, people are yelling, you're on the game on TV. I mean, it's just, you don't need energy pills or anything. You're just kind of shocked. Um, and so I was already wired up. Then you're getting in the game and things are flowing. I am able to have the interception return for a touchdown. And I'm like, gas from celebration i mean i'm getting beat up by the players you get hit in the head and all kind of stuff right i'm like super tired after that then you got to go down there i'm on the kickoff team now i gotta run down on the kickoff team we got to go back out and have another series (laughs) you know play the game and then um so i'm i'm gassed i'm tired i'm tired on the play that you're talking about i i'm totally confident in our guys what we're doing we've been dominating the game i was like you know what I'm in deep half here where two man, someone has him, man. I'm supposed to be over the top, but it's third down. I'm going to go ahead and chill. They're probably going to throw something quick. Well, on my field play, um, Lamar Thomas is streaking down the sideline, and I'm looking, kind of jogging over, and I see uh, Willie Gasson is his name, our cornerback. I mean, beautiful throw by Gino Terrell. Just drops it in there. He catches it in the corner kind of fades off and running out of bounds I'm like oh crap you know I'm in trouble because I'm supposed to be over the top side of the wide receiver and I'm, and I'm way behind it uh, so um, that's when I had to go into track track mode and just try to chase him and I, I was really running out of fear really just trying to catch him because I was out of position 
Um, but then the training come in. I knew I was going to catch him. And then it was, okay, what do you do when you get there? Strip the ball, strip the ball, strip the ball. We've been ingrained in that every single day. We work on strip deals every day. So it was just natural. Did it, and I ended up coming in my hands and taking it and turning around. And You thought I was tired before. It was after that that I was then just gassed. <laughs> First time in my life that I had to go get some oxygen on the sideline because I was dead. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, you know Lamar, yeah. I, I've tried to get him to do an interview with me. And I know that's one of the more painful moments of his life. What happened in that game? He doesn't want to talk about it, I guess, especially before this game, knowing that it brings back the memories. But I'm going to try to get him on. I'm going to try to get him on to talk about it. But I know he gave you credit after the game and even during the game. I think he, he told one of your teammates to tell you it was a great play. Yeah. No, you know what? He's a yes. He, he probably did. But I think it. You know, it made him butthurt a little bit. It would have been the same way. It's no no big deal. But, you know, if you talk to him now, he'll tell you, and he's very level-headed with that, that, man, people make plays. You know, there was times where he was destroying people, and, you know, that was his time. I've been trucked. I've been shook. I've been stiff-armed. I've been, you know, I've had some times that I don't want people to see what's happened to me either. So it's just part of the game. Yeah. It's not a time where something bad typically doesn't happen to us. Um, so, you know, props to him. I actually, did you know I played with Lamar? Yeah, I was going to get to that. I had heard the one season with the Dolphins, right? Yeah, no, that's different. That was different. Very different. That was yeah. the first time, uh, second time that we'd really been around each other. Um, uh-huh. after the game. Yeah, well, we, we should get into that. Uh, tell me a little bit about what that was like. Um, I wanted to ask you also, you know, how often you came across hurricanes in the league. Um, either as teammates or opponents where, you know, you gave it to them and they gave it back to you, or there was just sort of some, some good old fashioned trash talk between you guys. You know, I didn't really have any Miami players when I went to green Bay. So it was kind of distant, I guess, from that. Um, And then once I went, came to the Cowboys, there were, Seemed like a ton of Miami guys. Kevin uh, Williams mm-hmm. was here. Ryan Neal was here. You know, so it, it became a old kind of trash talking thing again. When I went to the Dolphins, I think Lamar might have been the only guy there. But that was that was just awkward because guys being guys in the locker room. Watch out, Teague's behind you. You know, if we're doing anything one on one. <laughs> you know something it, it's just you know it was it, it was difficult it was fun but it was difficult uh, just because now we got the same goal of trying to win games make teams and hear all our teammates being instigators instead of <laughs> you know allowing us to really build the relationship we need to have were you guys able to build a relationship? Was there ever a point where you guys really became friends or or had a moment to talk about that and maybe I don't know, bury the hatchet, or do you think that affected you guys at all, being becoming friends? Yeah. I think it affected us, honestly. Uh, we, we, we weren't – I mean, we were cordial and tight. We weren't fighting or nothing like that, but right, it right. wasn't the normal relationship. Um, and it wasn't probably just us. That was, you know, a hard time for me being in Miami with the Dolphins also. I was going through my own personal stuff with Jimmy Johnson at the time, so I was kind of standoffish with, with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's why I only lasted one year down there with the Dolphins. Yeah. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, I, I was going to ask you about your your entire NFL career, and and obviously everybody knows that besides the strip, you know what happened with To in Dallas. That's obviously something that that's an iconic moment as well. I'm curious, being in Texas, I'm sure you get asked more about the To situation than 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 the strip, right? Is that something that comes up quite a bit? Uh, yes, comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, this came up yesterday while I was standing outside of Rockfish getting in my truck. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Bring it up. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you got to knock off T.O., you know, whatever. Um, and that's okay. But I'll say I, I probably talk really honestly, I probably talk just as much about particularly from older people or people of my generation mm-hmm. about the Alabama play because they really remember that and now there's tons of Alabama fans out here too, um, but any college fans that they always typically bring up that play from the that even if they're not Alabama fans or whatever, if they just know about you know that game or me, they automatically go to that play. Have you ever had a chance to talk to Lamar uh, after the football careers were over to to I don't know just talk about that play or that moment? Yeah, we're actually pretty cool now. Um, Actually, it took a while for us to get to that point, I guess. But um, so, yes, I I won't say I speak to him regularly, but we're we're social media buddies. We're mm-hmm. tweeting at each other and all that kind of stuff now, and uh, we do talk on the phone. I've called him a few times. He's called me, and you know, we're really actually trying to figure out how we can uh, what we can do for this uh, game uh, coming up. If there'd be something fun that we could do together. Um, yeah, I'd love for that to happen. Love to see you guys talk about it. Yeah, so we're thinking about doing something. Don't have anything planned yet. Whether we can do, you know, uh, produce something where people can buy it. It'd be kind of cool to have both of our signatures on some type of picture or something. I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Just make sure your fans are listening and paying attention to, to what's going on. Uh, and he and I will probably say something about what we're going to do um, pregame or the week up. Oh, that'd up be great. Us. Well, this this article hopefully can uh, can help uh, in this podcast, uh, get people interested in it again and talking about it. Um, so I'm hoping he he responds to me because he knows what I'm calling him about. And uh, <laughs> I know it's a painful deal for him. Him and I have talked about it in the past. So how did the friendship spark up? What was it that that maybe led to you guys finally being able to talk about it? Was him him reaching out to you? You reaching out to him? Was it a golf tournament? How did it sort of uh, sort of come together for you guys? No, he actually reached out to me late. I think it was coming up on. Uh, I could have a time off a little bit, but I think it was coming up on the 20 year anniversary mm-hmm. of and of of that game and i don't know but i think so much i think there's some stuff going on on twitter or whatever it was and i I don't remember all the exacts um of it but it was enough for him to say reach out and say hey you know what's up can we capitalize on this moment somehow 
And yeah. then that's when they said, you know what? Give me buzz, blah, blah, blah. And then that's when we started talking. And that was really the first time where we really said, man, that was 20 years ago, bro. You know, why are we mm-hmm. still, <laughs> you know, not talking to each other or whatnot? You know, it shouldn't even be that way. We played against each other, with each other. And, you know, it happened a long time ago. So that's when we actually started, um, I'm saying, being coachable. Because he also was a college coach. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was times I was saying, well, yeah, and you're a college coach and you need to be recruiting my kids. <laughs> right. You know, so we got to talk. So come get some of these wide receivers. So that's how it really started out. And now it's, you know, we're, we're horse playing all the time. Well, that's that's great to hear. Um, did he ever end up recruiting any of your guys? Did he uh, get anybody over to Kentucky or Louisville? Hey, where he was no, at? he'd probably tell all them kids don't go to Alabama. <laughs> 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 uh, that's awesome. So uh, let's talk a little about the game for a quick minute. Uh, obviously, your Crimson Tide have been unbelievable. They've really – I feel like, honestly, you know, I was a teenager in high school when I watched you guys. I'm a little younger than you guys, but watching that game – from a Miami perspective, it really felt like all the momentum that they had had up until that point in that play, you snatched it from Miami. I don't know that they ever recovered because they had such a good thing going. And that was such a momentum changing play that, uh, and obviously Miami had a bunch of other things that happened after that. Um, but Alabama has been absolutely dominant for the last, I don't know, 15 years since, since Mr. Saban arrived. Um, this game, Miami's looking at it as an opportunity to try to maybe snatch that momentum back, right? To to change their program. How do you view this game? And and, and are you going to be going to the game or watching it on TV? How are you how are you going to take it in? Yeah, there are a lot of dynamics. I will not be at the game, unfortunately. I was originally going to be at the game, but now I can't. As the athletic director, we're actually playing a football game on Saturday here. Okay. Network, so I can't um, I can't make it out to Atlanta um, for the game. But I think this this game is important. Uh, for for Miami in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know, you say, well, how can you put that much weight on one single game? But I think there's so much talk about because we hadn't played each other since then. Mm-hmm. And as you said, that was kind of a, a swinging mode where, you know, the, the Miami dynasty was kind of fell apart after that. Um, that this – this has a lot of meaning to that because they're going to go in against the number one rated team. You know, are they really good? I forget the quarterback's name. It's quarterback. Derek King, right? Yeah, is this you know can King really get them over the hump and do that? Can they really become this um, you know back to the status that they've been? I think this is a really really big game uh, for Miami in that sense to be able to say, okay, we're back. You know, if you beat my or if you beat Alabama, that's Pretty big statement, right, coming out of the shoot. For Alabama, the legacy, you know, what Saban has done. There was a low from when I played to when Saban got there. We had ups and downs with coaches. We were kind of bad for a minute um, as well. And then Saban came in and just did his magic, man, recruiting the right kids, selling the right dreams, you know, finding the right staff, doing all the things. And now he just – Sending too many guys to the pros, bro. <laughs> the pros keep coming. They attract. A pro attracts a pro. Uh, so the depth is good. It should be interesting. Only thing I got to say that I've, uh, that would be tough for Miami is that you're giving Nick Saban pretty much all year to prepare for you. That, that's, yeah. 
That's a tough one, brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 19 and a half point favorites. I think the line is up to now. And uh, so everybody's expecting it to be a blowout. Take me back to New Orleans, 1992, 1993, that 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 week when you guys were going to play Miami. They were favored in that game, right? Going in, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, big time. And, and, and were they talking that. a lot of trash? And, and you know, did you guys have any run-ins <laughs> yeah. on Bourbon Street? <laughs> Yes, to all of the above. <laughs> There's a lot of trash talk in the media, in the paper. There's a lot, a lot of trash talk on Bourbon Street. Um, you know, literally, like, you know, people going about to fight or whatever. That wasn't cool. Then, uh, you know, just through the game and everything else, it was just – it was a really intense um, game because we weren't supposed to be there. You know, we're Alabama, whatever. You know, no offense – you know, only defense, that kind of stuff. And it was just – I think that – because of that, because Miami was heavily favored. Um, so it's almost kind of re- reversed. Mm-hmm. It's kind of reversed. Miami was heavily favored, so we weren't getting any respect, right? So that riled us up as players. Like, man, we're a whole lot better than what people were thinking or saying. So, I, you know, that's scary from this sense that as it's reversed and you're going into a team like against Miami and – all the talk is, man, you're going to lose by three touchdowns. Or the, you know, that starts to rile up people on the inside, the players, maybe mm-hmm. even the coaches a little bit. So they're going to walk out there with a little bit of attitude. They're going to stay silent. I'm sure coaches telling them, stop it. Let's just go play. <laughs> you know, let them talk their trash. Let their fans talk their trash or whatever it is. And then let's go put it on these boys at a neutral site. Um, so, um that, that part is, I will have to admit, kind of eerie, kind of scary because I know how we felt and what our determination was to win that game. And it started right from the first kickoff that, hey, we're here, boys. And we don't need that out of hurricanes. So they need to go ahead and sip on a hurricane or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, that week, did Lamar say anything to you prior to the game? I mean, he was obviously one of the most infamous trash talkers of all time at Miami. I mean, he he wouldn't keep his mouth shut. So I'm curious, did he say something to you heading into that game, or was there something that he said that motivated you? Um, he didn't say anything specifically to me, uh, either before or whatnot, but he was the one who said that those DBs were slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we got the article. I don't know if you've seen it. It's been passing around Twitter a little bit too. That you know, <laughs> constantly called out the DBs and said, "I don't know why y'all are talking about those DBs because they're all slow and can't cover us," kind of thing. It's just poster board material, you know, that we saw. Okay, yeah, we slow. Keep thinking that, you know. We got me, Antonio <laughs> Langham, Sam Shade, who all ended up in the National Football League. You know, we we're just quiet guys that. You know, slap you in the face without having to say a word. Um, and so that was our model. Just kill him with kindness, as we yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Thirty years later, I've come to respect that perspective. You know, as much as I enjoyed watching Miami win and you know point their fingers and do all that kind of stuff, it was it was fun and entertaining. I think there is something honorable about just playing the game and shutting their mouths up, right? <laughs> <laughs> those are the best ones. That's all I can say. Those are the best ones, uh, especially when you beat them handedly. They only scored one touchdown, man. 
Yeah. Yep. You guys thoroughly dominated them. I watched the game again last night in preparation for this. And I said, man, I said, I forgot how good this defense was that Miami <laughs> couldn't even, they couldn't even breathe in that game. Could run the ball, could throw the ball. I mean, I don't even know how many interceptions we had. I probably need to go back and watch. I think it was three at least. Yeah. Me, Tommy, Sam, I think we were all punt returns. I mean, we were just ragdolling them. I don't know. I I think they were overconfident. Mm -hmm. No one's really ever asked me that, but I think they just thought, it's Alabama, whatever, you know. And you went down and made the opening tackle, if I'm not mistaken, on the opening kickoff. I did. I ran right out of my shoe, right out of the beginning. I told you I was so <laughs> amped up, and that was the beginning of me knowing that I was in the zone because uh, that, that doesn't happen very much. Coach called that play to L1 go, go down there and make the play. You know, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And you, uh, you, I, do you remember what your stats were in that game? Do you remember how many tackles and everything you had or no? I know that was your first pick six from what I read. Yeah. I do not, honestly, uh, because uh, the highlight of my career, that was the first, the pick six, taking it in for the end zone. I had plenty of interceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I didn't really care how many tackles I had. Once I got to the end zone, that was, that was like my highlight as a defensive back because you don't get those all the time, you know. Um, and so being on a national stage, that was – that was it <laughs> for me. I, I, I didn't have to do anything else in the game. I was happy for myself at that point. Uh, so, no, I've never been that kind of kind of guy that really studied my own stats or knowing. Most of the time people are telling me stuff like, did you know you had mm-hmm. yeah, whatever, or you were the first to do this. And I'm like, no, nah, just playing a football game, man. Just playing. <laughs> don't want to get beat because every time I get beat, I get angry and I don't like that. <laughs> that was a hell of a high step, though, into the end zone. That that was a pretty good celebration. Was that something that uh, you had planned as you were you were running in, or it just came out of you as you were marching into the end zone? You know, man, and that's you know, for anyone who doesn't know what excitement like that is. I I would never ever dreamed of doing that. Only thing I said I was gonna do if I made a play. In the game. So we're always thinking, scheming, okay, what are we going to do on this television? The only thing I said I was going to do if I intercepted the ball from Gino Toretto was I was going to strike the Heisman post. That's the only thing I said I was going to do. I had no opportunity to do it because when I got in the end zone, everybody was jumping on me. You could tell I was trying to get them out of the way. No, let me move. Let me, let me do it with <laughs> They wouldn't let you do it. They were too happy. <laughs> jumping all over you. Yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. So, uh, but the high step, it just happened. You know, it just wasn't even a, nothing I'd ever did before, nothing I'd done in practice. It was just emotions kind of took over. And I mean, I knew I was going to score once I got around the, the edge. Wasn't nobody going to catch me after that. So, yeah, it was a hell of a play. I mean, it looked like they were trying to go to Kevin Williams over the middle and you were just there. You were ready for it. Did you, did you know pre snap that's what was coming? I did. I did. As a matter of fact, they had some pretty big tendencies. Um, what they do by formations and things of that nature. And it, I'll tell you, and this is, and I, some people are real spiritual, right? Uh, and I'm one of them. Um, mm-hmm. But this is what I know when things are meant to be alive for certain people um, or in a way that can give you blessings that you may not be thinking about. And this is one for me, the interception, because I wasn't even supposed to be on him. We were lined up incorrectly. I knew the deal, knew we were man to man. 
So I ended up matched up on that slot position um, there. But I knew what their tendency was. We were well prepared and coached and knowing what it was. And I really just said, screw it. I'm just going to play the tendency. It's been 100%. So I mean, you look, the jam turned my body right there and the ball hit me right in the chest. <laughs> you know, boom. I yep. mean, you threw it like you did every other play. Um, so that's another piece of advice to those young cats. Study your film. Play the tendencies. You don't have to, you know, give it away, but if it's 100%, I'm going for it. That's how I was. Calculated yeah. was just, he's going to throw it there. I'm going to at least look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. Well, um, George, you've been very, uh, very nice with your time, and I really do appreciate this interview. Um, you know, I'm hoping that uh, the Miami-Alabama game, that we get to see this more often. I don't want to wait another 28 years. I'd love to see the schools play a little more often, although – now with this uh, alliance talk that they're making and the college football playoff, maybe maybe Miami and Alabama just have to start meeting in the playoff. Maybe that's the way that we're going to have to uh, to hopefully see these teams get together again. But thank you for all your time, man, and uh, really appreciate it. Wish you uh, luck over there in Texas with your program, and, and thanks for everything. I appreciate it, and I look forward to talking to you after the game. Don't disappear on me after I, the game. I will not. I will be around. <laughs> I'm not going to pull Lamar on you. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.